0: welcomed into theology i'm joined with reverend dr magister i, I look at it. Ian clary oh
1: but look at i took it away from my oh you
0: took it away which is all here. very sad yeah. okay so in you're just regular old ian clary regular old. did
1: you just call me old
0: well compared well, to me, the marker
1: of time right so i guess it
0: makes sense relative Robert. to my present you're my future that's all i'm going to say <laughs> uh the future so, doesn't
1: exist so i'm not old
0: i know but he says there's three presents there's a present uh, relative to the past let's not do, to the it present, present do it yet don't do it yet we gotta get into it yet <laughs> okay but listen getting we're ahead in, of
1: things which is again another time I, I don't know
0: does time even exist maybe we're actually at the right place <laughs> book 11 of the confessions of augustine is a book on time and god's eternity which seems to kind of complement a little bit book 10 which at least highlighted God's omnipresence among other things. But that seemed to be at least a major theme in Book 10. So there's kind of a logical um, progression here. He ends Book 10 with Christ the Mediator and begins Book 11 with the Word of Scripture and the Word of Christ. And also ends, again, we noted Book 11 with Christ the Mediator. So in his kind of more theological or abstract thinking portions of Confessions, he's very theologically Christ centered, which I think is important to realize even if sometimes the discussions seem to kind of seem like, okay, they're maybe too abstract or whatever, but he's in a prayerful mode trying to work out something that is important. And that's the nature of time because God is eternal and we're in time and mutable and changeable. So how do we know ourselves and know God? You had a portion that you wanted to read in um, book 11, chapter two and section two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this whole, uh the whole of book 11 is really fascinating and it's, it's hard. It actually forces you to slow down and actually think about what he's saying. You need to read it over the course of a few days. So I was actually thinking about that. One of the things I've liked about our podcast is actually that we're taking time going through these books <clears> and it actually like you're spent, like, we, how long, when did we start uh, confessions? Like sometime in mid spring?
0: Well, we took, yeah, we took a break during the summer. So it probably mid spring. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like,
1: we've been kind of thinking about these, you know, these issues from confessions for quite a while. And I've just found the benefit of it. And it's interesting because he's talking about how time is important to him uh, because he finds time getting away from him, which is what this reading in Book 11, Chapter 2, Section 2 is, is really all about. So I'm going to read here. It's got such vivid imagery, too. <clears throat> he says, With my pen acting like a tongue, uh, when I'm up to the task of proclaiming all your encouragements and all your terrors, the consolations and directions by which you convinced me to preach your word and minister your sacrament to your people. Um, interesting there, just that he's kind of giving us a little insight into like how he felt when he got called into ministry, um, which, you know, his, the story, we didn't, you don't get into it as much here, but he's basically forced into ministry. In just
0: one sentence word and sacrament, just like the reformation are the components of Christian ministry.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, and then he says for a long time, I've been fired with passion for meditating on your law and confessing to you how much I know of it and what ignorance I still possess The beginning of your enlightening me and the light, uh, the last traces of my darkness until my weakness was consumed by strength. I'm reluctant that the hours which I find free from such necessities as bodily refreshment and mental concentration and the services I owe to others or I do not owe to the service, but I render it nonetheless should trickle away. And it's interesting, right? So he's locating his questions about what time is and how God relates to time and how we relate to time um, in like very kind of practical Pastoral matters, right? Mm-hmm. So he he's struggling with the question of time that's trickling away from him because he's got all these other things. I like I like in that that parenthetical note, right? He says he talks about the services that he owes to others as a as a minister. He says, and sometimes I don't owe them services, but I do it anyway, mm-hmm. right? Which is a good description of what pastoral ministry often looks like. And uh, and so he's like, but these these drops of time are worth a lot to me. So it's like the slow movement of time. Uh, And each drop is like water um, that that has got this refreshment to it, and so he's going to then spend the rest of Book Eleven really trying to like contemplate these things. And though they are, as you said, they're abstract, and they're they're, he gets very philosophical at points, and sometimes almost to the like pedantic. It's like okay, it like you're reading, you're like, oh, this is just going on, but you see what he's doing, and it all kind of rebounds back to. you know his 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 own life, and 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 it actually comes out of a particular personal context for him, um, which I think is
0: cool. One thing that's interesting too, when he makes this pivot to scripture, talks about meditating on your law and confessing and so on. And it's interesting because uh, I was uh, teaching a little bit on Psalm one this morning for a. For a, a, a I'm teaching the Psalms at Heritage. Oh, okay, like cool. You can already see like even in Psalm one, meditating the law is not like how we think of law as like. A list of things to to know what to do. Here, it's for him. It looks like it's all of Scripture right here. It's God's Word, His Law, His His Order, His standard. It's all those kinds of things. It's just you see interesting... Psalms
1: references all throughout this book. Oh, so even as, yeah. as abstract and philosophical as it gets, he's still dealing with the Psalms.
0: You could think of him as doing philosophy with biblical idiom. Yeah that's yeah. one way to think about it or like
1: uh you know what was the book by drew johnson um is it like hebrew B- philosophy, B-
0: philosophy or something like philosophy that or something like that yeah a, i kind of yeah. want to read that i haven't yet I mean, but it is but interesting. It's, it's, did you notice
1: though like as we are passing by at one point augustine himself admits he doesn't know hebrew uh yeah right on um in uh section three five uh, so at the top of page one, one ninety nine in our Loeb edition,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he says, uh, then I would tune the ears, to my physical body to the sounds bursting forth from his mouth. But if he spoke in Hebrew in vain, would that sound strike my senses and nothing of it would touch my mind. Whereas if it was in Latin, I would know what he was saying. <laughs> right. So he's actually like, yeah, I don't know Hebrew, which I don't feel bad. Cause I don't know either. So I, I know Latin and Greek, but not Hebrew.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Augustine, you never amounted master. to much and he's, so maybe that's a warning to you. I guess it must be. (laughs) No, I think, I mean, it's interesting in our circles. Sometimes you can over, like, you can overvalue languages in ways that are not meant to be valued. So biblical languages are great so that you can have a more clear understanding of scripture and, and know what's going on. This is him earlier time.
1: too, right? He's early, he's yeah. earlier in his career at this point he's going to obviously develop and I You'll I remember, know a
0: little I'm, bit more, especially the translation I'm
1: recalling correctly, I think he gets some basic Hebrew knowledge down. I, I could be wrong, but I, well, I, I know that in my memory sure, somewhere
0: your memory somewhere. I for sure during the translation crisis of Jonah, he probably has some <laughs> rudimentary understanding of what's going on with the gourd. Do you remember that story? <laughs> no okay. so him and Jerome because so Jerome's translating the Bible from Hebrew. Yeah. Any any oh translates yeah, yeah, yeah. gourd I can't remember it's like the tree at the end of the book yeah. and I can't remember who did who but one is gourd and one is like fig tree or something like that okay. and there are literal riots that yeah. occur yes. because the the uh, the Latin translation has one word and Jerome's new Latin translation from Hebrew is a different word and it got and Augustine's like oh let's just like cool it <laughs> it's almost yeah. like KJV only but in this case it was like a uh, Latin version only in North Jerome Africa.
1: version only come on.
0: Wow. That Um, basically becomes the Latin Vulgate. I take it
1: back. Um, But it's interesting, too. I mean, when you think about what he's doing here, he's actually commenting on Moses, right? He's looking at Genesis. You know, he's using the idea of like the creation of heaven and earth. He's trying to relate time to that, right? Time itself is actually a creation, Um, it's not something that exists outside of you know, um, the, 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 what God does in, in Genesis chapter one. And this is like a preoccupation for him, right? So he, he gets into creation stuff again and he gets into time again later on. He has more developed thoughts that'll change a little bit from confessions when he gets to city of God. And He writes what he calls a literal commentary on Genesis, <laughs> uh, where he only gets through like the first little bit of, of Genesis. I think he itself.
0: writes three commentaries on Genesis and didn't yeah. I don't think he finishes any I don't of them. Any finishes
1: them. So he's he's very preoccupied with these questions, and uh and it is it's like that relationship, kind of like what we saw when we were looking at Calvin, right? When we were looking at the institutes, there's Understanding God as creator, understanding God as redeemer. And you can see that even in this book um, where he's doing those. So I want to understand God as he is the creator, as he's the creator of the universe, as he's the creator of me. And then also as he is my redeemer. You know what's Um, wild? We spent
0: a year and a half in the institutes, didn't we? Yeah,
1: we did. That was awesome.
0: And so I've been reading his commentaries too, kind of alongside. I really, it's going back to, he said the slow reading of Augustine. I actually, I feel like I really have a good sense of Calvin now. Yeah his is plus that and uh anyways um
1: so what's his big point here what do you, what do you think he's trying to do in book 11
0: um so i couldn't know. fully figure it out but i'll tell you like the big picture ideas that i'm discerning then you can kind of correct me <laughs> um i do think it's a connection to book 10 just from omnipresence to eternity yeah and he <laughs> actually
1: uses memory even in book 11
0: he, yeah, he mentions at least once i saw I, I saw it a couple times Yeah. um there's a, There's a contrast between God who who belongs to eternity and us who belong to time. Yeah. So how does that work? The last chapter was, how how do I, who's in one place, know God who's in every place? or in which place can I know God? And it's you know there's no place because God's everywhere. Yeah. um, so there's there's that kind of idea going on here. And yet, at the beginning, he focuses so much on Christ and the Word of God. The way that he's getting to his answer is by going to the beginning of, you know, time in the mm-hmm. beginning of scripture, which are the words of Moses. So essentially Genesis 1 and, and 2 in the beginning. And then he's trying to figure out what, like what, basically what is that beginning? What's time? Did God create it? Did he not create it? So I think that's what's going on here. Uh, it seems like he's also, lastly, I'll say, broadening from his individual narrative to a more cosmic narrative. uh, Because once you get into Moses' writings of Genesis, you know, Genesis 1, the cosmos is the the audience, <laughs> you know. Let there be light. Who's the audience of that? Right. It's the created order. Yeah, So I think, that's kind of where I'm going.
1: I, I think too, like what also is happening is, you know, the, the idea of knowing God in the mind stuff that he was get, getting into in book uh, 10 now he's he is sort of doing it it's like he's practicing it right where he's trying to think through and there's something very contemplative about this it is very philosophical but it's not it's it's philosophy done in the ancient world that is very contemplative and he's sitting and he's actually he's entering into his own mind and he's trying to think through the nature of time uh, in relation to god's timelessness and it's like if if what he understands about time can be at least somehow comprehensible. It'll give him some insight into who God is. But what I like about this this chapter is that he's wrestling through, how can I use language, which is time-bound, right? He gets into a whole discussion of words and spaces between words. How can I use language, which is necessarily time-bound? From
0: from Genesis 1, though, because what is the sound of Let There Be Light?
1: Right, and like, what is the nature of words, right? He's not speaking – God's not speaking words – in an audible way,
0: he's using his, because that would be a substance. You'd have to breathe out. I mean, he's, right. he's,
1: Yeah, it's, it, and like you can see Augustine just, it's like, he keeps, he, keep, he goes exploratory one way and he's like, "Nope, oh, can't be there. And it's like, he's just, he's recognizing all these problems. It's, it's a theological
0: context words. of scripture. What he's, now, the one thing I'd like that I kind of want to briefly camp on is what well, I, you said something that was really helpful. You said, basically he's trying to do what he said. He's trying to speak about God's words and explore who he is. One thing I think um, in our circles we uh, we have lost not historically in Baptist circles but it seems in present is almost like the excitement and zest of life and the created order. Calvin called it the um, the theater yeah. of God's glory, the universe, and uh, obviously Augustine has that similar type of type of view. And I, I don't know exactly why it is, but it is striking that sometimes you can go into a church where everyone seems very dour and somber and sad, and, and there's reasons for that, right? There's real grief in this life, but there's two sides to it. I mean, Augustine has lost his, at this time, his son and his mother and technically his girlfriend, but it's a little bit different. Like he's had, and his friend, he knows tragedy. So he's not silly about that. And yet he has like this thrill of life to pursue the glory of God in creation. It reminds me of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And sometimes we say, I hope I just die soon to get to heaven. Look now, (laughs) like, it's there exactly it's it's it's, i I saw someone speaking about this today like he's in his 60s and he's like well the world is going to hell or whatever so i just gonna die soon i don't care it's like i don't know about that i just think you need to you need to truly grieve that's important but also life's interesting like it's not just anyways i just love what he's doing That, that was a total side point but i think we have to be excited about life again Yeah.
1: And I mean, he's doing it too, in such a way that he's making it all about worship too. Right. So like it's all
0: prayer to God, it's all worship. It's
1: all all prayer. It's all worship. Like even after that opening paragraph that I read there um, in two, two, when you go to uh, two, three, he does exactly that. He says, Oh Lord, my God, listen to my prayer. Let, let your mercy pay heed to my desire. uh, For it is not a flame for my own benefit only, but wants to be at the service of brotherly love. Uh, You see in my heart that that is so, let me offer as a sacrifice to you the obedient service of my mind and tongue. So first bestow what I am to offer to you. Right. So this is he sees this as a sacrificial offering. I am weak and poor. You are bounteous to all who call upon you. Free from care. You take care of our cares. I love that. Man, God doesn't have. He's He's say he's divine. You know, divine essay. He doesn't have any cares. He doesn't need anything. So what does it do? Because he's free from care. He can take care of our own cares. Uh, circumcise my physical lips and my spiritual uh, from all presumption and all deceit. Your scriptures are my pure delight. Uh, let me neither be deceived in them uh, nor use them to deceive. Which is also very interesting, right? Because how he, he recognizes how easy it is to do that—to take the scriptures that are true and use them in deceptive ways. But this is all an act of of worship. For,
0: for example. It's,
1: yeah. So this this is contemplation. This is spirituality. Um, And he sees this as his own, like using his mind now to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And this
0: is the element that's a little bit missing because we do a a lot of great work on history, on Bible, straight up Bible, commentary, theology. But then the the subsequent work of theological reflection in worship of God, I think, at least in our circles, is less common than it used to be. Um, And I don't know all the reasons why I'm just noting it. It just seems like there's it makes us, I think, miss. I don't know. There's something special about life.
1: I just think that we've been caught up in like modernity, you know, and we're yeah. just, everything's
0: fast. Everything is, <laughs> is busy. You have Charles Taylor secular, you know, like, right, yeah,
1: right. The disenchantment and stuff. But I mean, like when you think about it, like we, we are, we're just caught up in, in so much. And and that's what he's saying. We're letting the trickle of time just get away from us. And we'd actually just need to sit and contemplate and think And think really like as clearly as possible, as best as we're able to. And he recognizes throughout this whole book 11, he's utterly dependent on God for any of his knowledge of who God is in relation to time. And, uh, and he's, and he's, he's addressing problems too, right. He's going to talk about those who say that, you know, God, um, you know, um, uh, shoot, I completely vacated my mind, but where he's talking, I think he's talking about God's corporeality. Uh, No, I know it is. It's that great question that he asked, what was God doing? right before he created and he's addressing that over and <laughs> over. Created, created and hell like, for some people, people say he's questions. actually quite humorous. Did you catch the joke that he does? Um, He says, uh, you know, some people might say that, you know, he's preparing hell for those who ask such questions, but I would never actually say that wink. wink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I thought that was actually quite funny.
0: Well, I don't uh, know. When... Let me also, let me just read this on page 197. uh Chapter two, section four near the bottom. Um, He's talking about the the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of man standing at God's right hand. The mediator is mentioned again between us right there in that portion. He says, I make my prayer through him who sits at your right hand. So again, that's a mediation action and speaks up on our behalf to you. In him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden and those treasures are what I seek in your books. Moses wrote about him. Christ himself says so. He who is the truth says so hmm I, I don't there, there's something unique like he say so he wants to know Christ but the way that he looks to find him is scripture and Jesus says at uh, John 546 looks like Moses wrote about me and so even at the beginning in Genesis 1 I I have to assume I don't see it here but I have to assume he's like everyone else that in the beginning is so John one is the Christian creation account. So when you read yep. Genesis one, in the beginning is is in Christ essentially.
1: Yeah, I mean he gets into that in his uh, homily on uh, on John one one.
0: Right? Okay, yeah, I'm sure. I just it's it's normal, commonplace. I just it's not in this chapter, so I didn't, but it's just interesting. Sometimes uh, we we want to separate the Christ from Scripture, like the Christ of history or whatever. But Augustine doesn't need to. Yeah, and even if he's engaging the Bible. At the same time, he's engaged in the whole cosmos and reflecting on time. There's no contradiction between above biblical reflection on time, because he would actually say that's still a scriptural reflection because the Bible talks about the beginning of time. And yeah. The so, beginning.
1: like, in a sense, we could say to do astrophysics, right? To actually to under, try to understand the relationship of, like, you know, what is the space time continuum? Sure. Uh, things that these physicists are talking about today. It's like, oh, like, those are, and that's why the natural sciences are so helpful. Um, yeah. For christian faith right not just in terms of trying to understand what a text might mean or what a piece of theology mm-hmm. means it actually helps us in our own contemplation of of who god is and uh what helps like you with the bible he, better I like, like i wish i could talk to moses <laughs> that's what he's kind of saying too you know it's like i want to have like a direct conversation with him which is really cool that's where the whole thing comes he's like, if he speaks to me in hebrew it's not gonna mean anything to me
0: <laughs> oh yeah 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 Here's but watch- he gets
1: into like he's he's Go working on. through things, right? So like uh he's he's recognizing that the very universe itself is crying out that it was created, and that stands in the face of like the ancient views that the universe is eternal. And so he's he's affirming creation ex nihilo. He does that in four six. Um, everything's telling us, right? You just have to look. It's not eternal. The universe is actually created by God. So he's he's affirming that divine creation, and he's he's going to work through that. The, the, not only does the creation tell us that it's created it's also praising him which is i'm he's trying to do is join in that kind of chorus of praise um and yeah all the all the stuff about um uh you know non no, no pre-existing matter uh god's not a craftsman where he takes this eternal matter and then forms it into a universe um but that he actually just that all that time itself actually comes into being when god speaks through his eternal word that stuff's fairly clear, but man, like some of the stuff where he's talking about God's eternality and God speaks <laughs> through an eternal word, the, there is no before creation, like bef- there is no time before God does this, but God's e- exist in an eternal present, like this stuff's hard. It gets well, really he, hard to just wrap your yeah. mind around.
0: Like on your point, he says on 2.11, chapter 10, section 12, for if any new impulse in God emerged and a new will... To form a creation such as he had never formed before how then would god possess true eternity when a will has come into being so he would come to will something he never willed that did not exist before the will of god is not something created but is antecedent to the creation because nothing would be created unless the creator's will was antecedent to it like the point is like somehow like whatever creation is is not one day god decided to create and he wasn't creating before since the creation is the creation of time itself there's no such thing as, he doesn't quite say this directly, but there's no such thing as before creation in time. Right.
1: He doesn't, he doesn't create, mm-hmm. uh, in time, right? Yeah, God does do that. Yeah, so it create is. Pretty straightforward. he creates it with time, <laughs> right? Which is like because we are, we're, we're our, our language is finite and time bound, our, our old, everything about who mm-hmm. we are is finite and time bound. So it's like so hard to talk in in a way. Um, That actually can really capture what it means for something to truly be eternal.
0: The section you're alluding to is 1316. Okay. Neither is it the case that you precede time in time, because then you would not be antecedent to all times. Rather, you precede everything that has passed in time by the sublimity of your ever present eternity. Um, Like, there's like, so God created time, but he never, he was, there was no time before time (laughs) in which he was just like, oh, I'll create or not. Everything's eternally present to him, everything has substantial presence in front of him or yeah. that's you know he i don't think he gets into but the boethian ideas past present future is eternally present i, I think actually augustine does i don't remember yeah he talks
1: about how like because he's going to say things like the future doesn't exist yet the past is it doesn't exist either um and even as we're trying to like measure time as we're in it it's yeah. like measurement is really hard to do um because you're 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 like you're stuck in the moment but what it what is even a moment? It's like we're experiencing a present, like right now. But even as I'm uttering these words, they become past the second. Like is it even when they come out of my mouth, yeah. is it in my mind, uh, it, it's it's so hard, right? Um, to, to to try to just this is the creator creature distinction, and God is God is the one who makes time, and we are stuck in it, and it's just hard. To really try what he what is that language i'm trying to find it right now where he says if if i'm thinking oh yeah here it is yeah it's on 217 on on ours so book 11 14 section 17 uh he says uh kind of halfway down um in ordinary speech what is easier or more familiar for us to talk about than time and we definitely understand it when we talk of it right if i say to you, what time is it or whatever, you know what I mean. And he says, we also understand when we listen to someone else talking about it. So what is time? If no one is asking me a question about it, I know what it is. But if I want to explain it to the questioner, I don't know how to, <laughs> you know? And that's so true. It's like it's like you have an intuitive knowledge that's kind of implanted into us, right? Because yeah. our minds actually, intellect actually does participate um, in the divine mind. And so it's like we have certain, certain of these knowledge, this knowledge that's given to us but yeah boy, boy, like what? like to try to articulate it and and I like how he there's something almost lyrical or poetic in the way he's he's almost it's not like he's spiraling around, but it's like he's he's working his way contemplatively
0: to it. And he, that's the only way you can really do it right because in, in the same thing at the beginning of that paragraph, he has two statements that are kind of you can't make sense of. So he says, so there was never a time when you had not created anything because you had not created time. No times are co-eternal with you because you abide eternally. So it's like, it's really like high, like it's hard to understand. Yeah, This must be true about God. Um, So it's, it's not eternally present, it's not eternal matter. And yet, like God, there was never like a, you know, it's just this really kind of confusing contemplation. But I think that's the point. Like he, he says earlier, um, that, um, God, what is it? God kind of creates difficulties in scripture on purpose for us. And this is kind of one of them. It's like, you said, we can all talk about time, but when you really contemplate what what it is that God has made, it's too wonderful for us. So he says on page 195, which is uh, uh chapter two, section three, not without reason have you willed for so many dark secrets to be written within the pages of scripture. And uh, this is like consistent with all, pretty much all the early Christians that I know of. They all think God wrote the Bible clearly and then left complex things in there for us to meditate on so that we would get to where Augustine is to say like, God, you're just too wonderful and beyond us. The secret things belong to the Lord, what's revealed belongs to us. So the Bible talks about time clearly, but we don't know what time is.
1: And you see it in his own life and writings on these matters, right? Like here he is early in his career and he's thinking about these things and he doesn't stop. Like, it's not like, well, too hard to figure out. I'm just going to leave it here. It's like these, these, because that's worship yeah it's, it's like not keep, giving up that's it's, what we'll do for eternity
0: right and, and the wild thing is people say like well you know that's that's not useful to think like that you should go get a job make some money or whatever but the point is like that's not like look worship god is a non-physical being and so the kind of worship we give it's our whole bodies for sure but it's also our mind it's it's thinking yeah. it's it's part of what that means
1: what i like to like putting this into the bigger context of confessions, right? When he's wrestling through uh, as a manichae and as even as he's trying to struggle away from like maniche and the hangover of manichae <clears throat> thought, it's like God's this physical being and how can evil exist and all this sort of thing. And it's like he he's wrestling there, but the wrestling is like really disturbing for him here. He's wrestling through and he's but he's like, my heart is a flame, right? That, that's why we often see these pictures of, of Augustine with like a flaming heart, right? Um, he said, my heart is aflame with these matters now. It's like, it's perplexing to me. And I'm like, I'm wrestling through it. I'm struggling it, but man, this is actually glorious, even in the hard parts of it. Whereas before it was like, it was causing him like anguish, you know, it's like he's been freed from these manichaean ch- shackles. Now, uh, he, he can contemplate the physical world and see that it's, it's good. Like he's, he's making reference to sun, moon, and stars, the luminaries that are in the sky that measure time and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and 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 like you get a sense that he's not stopped the contemplative life, but now as a believer, the contemplative life, even though it can be difficult, is also really, really I don't want to say the word fun, but like it's 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 enriching.
0: I think Just, that's fun. You think it's uh, fun? Should we uh stop pretty soon well pretty- let's just
1: like talk about like cuz he's like some of the things right he, he does get into this whole distinction of like present time past time future time he's trying to work through like the language that we could actually use about it um because he's he just doesn't know how to speak of like what a future time is um so he relates it back to memory right so he makes a distinction on uh two, page 231 so 20 uh, book, book 11 20 section 26 Uh, In the right there, he says, what is now patently clear is that neither future nor past events exists. And it is incorrect to say there are three times past, present and future. Perhaps it would be appropriate to say there are three times the present respecting past things, the present respecting things present and the present respecting things. future." Which is like
0: how I think about you. (laughs) Thanks.
1: (laughs) That's right. My oldness. These three things do somehow exist in the soul, which is interesting. They exist in the soul and I do not perceive them anywhere else. Uh, for the present of things past is memory, right? So there's our memory thing. The present of things present is paying attention. So like a consciousness or an awareness. And then the present of things future is expectation. Uh, and he illustrates it with a hymn. Uh, but he says, if I may phrase it so I see three times and I acknowledge the fact there are three of them. Uh, Let people say three times exist past, present, and future, according to common usage. He's okay with it. Okay, if we said so we speak colloquially. This is okay. Uh, yes, let them say so. Look, I do not care. I do not try to stop it. I do not criticize it. So long as what they're saying is intelligible, uh, rather than stating that what it is in the future what is in the past exists in the present. Very little of what we say is stated accurately. Most is inaccurate. But what we but what we mean is understood. So he's like, listen, human language is still it's still communicating things that we understand. We have like this intuitive, like, if I'm trying to explain it to you, I can't do it. But if I'm just hearing somebody talk about time i know what you mean and he's like our language can convey that and can correspond to that intuitive knowledge about what we mean by time because we kind of experience it too but like if we're starting to get precise and we're talking precisely we gotta be very very careful and i like that i think it's wise right it's like there's common speech that we have about god uh we all know what's being meant here we just gotta be careful that we don't push it too hard because if we push it too hard we could get ourselves in trouble yeah wise
0: yeah I like how he kind of just says uh don't hear what i say just know what i mean <laughs> like it's kind of <laughs> that kind of idea but yeah. it, the point is that it, it, because we can't we're not god who can just speak and it's exactly true and just it's created we do our best and our meaning is, is true even if we can't say things perfectly I mean, the, the nature of language is complex
1: and, it, and it's telling us a lot about god mm-hmm. right there is no past present or future in god there's no duration of time uh in god things don't pass you know in him it's not like he learns anything um right so this gets back to these like classical attributes of his eternality of his immutability um and things like that oh that
0: that's augustine he must be reading thomas aquinas which is roman catholic It oh, must be yeah it's so yeah. weird uh, yeah. let me cuz he could cuz he
1: could get into the future and future time does exist
0: i just like to say things that are are not truth there um, you go. I like at the very end, so page 259, so this is the like, very, very end, uh, 3141, <clears throat> he has some really cool things, he says. "Um, So he says, uh, when someone sings well-known hymns or hears a hymn that is well-known, yes. their emotion fluctuates and their sense perceptions are amplified by the expectation of words yet to come. His expectation is that future tense. And the recollection of those already passed, that's memory. Um, but it happens differently in your case god because your it's eternity i got right ian in your case is different <laughs> now he's not only he reading a reading as he's speaking to me <laughs> oh boy i made a idol of a creature uh in your case because your eternity is immutable and you are the truly eternal creator of minds it's just it's wild so he goes back to that section we just read and he goes back to the three tenses again he uses different words uh he talks about expectation for the future recollection for the past and then contrast god and I love that phrase. Your eternity is immutable. Mm-hmm. So he's an unchanging, uh, God, who is not reliant on creation, as I say, and he is eternal, and yet he's a creator of minds, and those minds are those that have within them expectation, recollection, and then paying attention to the present. I don't know if he said that here.
1: God has to be eternal and immutable, right? Because it would have, if if he wasn't how is where does change come from change is always something that's done by an outside principle right so there's nothing outside of god that can promote change in him um right he's kind of getting to like kind of the parmenides sort of stuff there um with like the nature what is being anything outside of being is non-being well non-being can't promote change in being because it's non-being it doesn't i don't know one
0: time i stepped into the same river twice so that's (laughs) (laughs) heraclitus
1: um and then uh and so god has to god has to be than immaterial too, right? Because change only happens within material substances. Um, so God is himself. So all these things actually reason us back to these classical attributes too that we see in the scriptures. And that's why he's just especially leaning into the Psalms, which I think is really instructive for us. I don't know, can, what, we, can we conclude with the last, the very last bit here Yeah. Uh, on uh, the, like the last, what is it? Two sentences of, or three sentences um, on page on, on, uh, of the whole thing. He says, let anyone who understands this make confession to you. And those who do not understand, let them make their confession too. Oh, how how sublime you are. And yet the humble in heart are your dwelling place. You lift up the fallen and those uh, who have you for their exaltation do not fall.